0: 6,000 years ago, approximately 6,000 years ago, God made the heavens and the earth. Foundations of the world were established. Shortly after that, Adam and Eve fell there in the Garden of Eden. Man sinned, and sin came into the world. and Death by sin, so death passed upon all men for all of sin. A few hundred years later, we had the flood of the whole earth, and man had become wicked, the Bible says, and man's thoughts were evil only continually, and so God destroyed Mankind off the face of the earth, except for Noah and his family, and they found grace in the eyes of the Lord. They made the fragmentation of society just one hundred and fifty years after the flood, the fragmentation of society when God had to split up the, split up human beings by way of the languages, and so about seventy different language groups were spread across the world and, uh, and then we come to two thousand years after God had created the heavens of the earth, Abraham, the family of Abraham. Uh, one called out of the earth, the Chaldees. In Genesis chapter twelve and verse one, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto the land that I will show thee. And I'll make of thee a great nation, and bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curseth him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In Genesis chapter fifteen, the promise to Abraham was again uh, reiterated to him re- and promised to him once again. It says there in verse four, and behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, came unto Abraham, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now t- toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. In Genesis fifteen six. It says, and he believed in the Lord. Talking about Abraham, and Abraham believed in the Lord. And he counted it to him for righteousness. And we can go on to even chapter seventeen. The promise is given again that God promised to Abraham and to Sarah um, a seed. That He promised them uh, a child. And we go on through and we see that that child was given to them. And uh, in chapter eighteen, Abraham believed again. The everlasting covenant was given to him. And um, we see the Ishmael's birth. I'm trying to get down through here, and. Uh, We have the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. In chapter twenty-one, we had the birth of Isaac, and the Lord visited Sarah, as He had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as He had spoken, for Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son. Just before this, uh, the angels had visited there before the Sodom and Gomorrah, and and again the promise was given to them, and it says makes it very clear that that Abraham and and Sarah were past the age of having children. Sarah was past the age of having children. And yet, that's found actually in chapter 18 and verse 10. It said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind her. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And it says, And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a to bear a child? Which I'm old. I love verse 14 of chapter 18. It says, "Is anything too hard for the Lord?" At the time appointed, I will return to thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Again, in chapter 21, we see that Sarah did have a son whose name is Isaac. By the way, the 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 name Isaac means laughter. Laughter. God gave Abraham a son. It says that Abraham, when God promised that to him, that Abraham believed him. That he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord. Abraham believed the promise that was given to him by, by God. Even though they were past the age of having children, though Sarah was past the time of being able to have children, he believed that that would happen, and it did happen. In fact, he it became it says in, in Galatians chapter, I'm t- Romans chapter four. Sorry, in Romans chapter four, it goes on to state. It says, and he staggered not. Talking about Abraham. The whole chapters speaking of Abraham and, and David. It says, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. Talking about Abraham. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. I'm in Romans chapter 4, verse 19. And he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in the faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what God had promised, what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God. Abraham believed the promise. Even though they were past the age of having children. We said last Sunday morning there were three births in the Bibles recorded for us where God intervened. Where God intervened in that life which was Abraham and Sarah. It was John the Baptist. And of course Jesus Christ who was born of a virgin. And the Hebrew Hall of Faith says that, I know I'm skipping around a little bit, Abraham was promised that through him the Messiah would come. Through him his promised seed would come. Abraham believed that. He believed that. Abraham was given a child, Isaac. And then in Genesis chapter 22, he was told to sacrifice Isaac on the altar there in, in Mount Moriah. He took Isaac to Mount Moriah and was willing to offer him up. In fact, the Bible says he had the knife in hand, was about to slay his only son, and God stopped him. The angel of the Lord stopped him. Abraham believed God so much about Isaac being the promised seed, and that through Isaac, a Messiah would come one day, that he was willing to take the life of Isaac, knowing, according to Hebrews chapter 11, it says, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promise... "...offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in figure." Abraham believed the promise of God so much. Abraham believed the promise of God emphatically to the point that God had promised that Abraham would be given a seed, Abraham would be given a child, that child was given to him, it was Isaac, And Isaac was promised that one day through him the Messiah would come. And Abraham believed that promise so much that he was willing to take Isaac's life knowing that God would have to raise Isaac from the dead because God had already promised that Isaac was the promised seed. That God had told Abraham that through Isaac one day a Messiah would come. And don't turn there, but Galatians chapter 3 says the gospel was preached unto Abraham. Abraham understood that through Isaac one day a Messiah would come, a Savior would come. One day, through his future generations, through his uh, future children's, children's children, one day a Messiah would come, and Abraham believed it so much that he was willing to take the life of his own son, knowing that God would raise him from the dead because of the promise that had been given. He believed God to that point. Faith, faith is so very important. God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. Luke Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be at this morning. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. This is the promise given to Mary. A promise given to Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. I wonder where he got that one from. We just read that in Genesis. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again come to you asking you to bless the word. Lord, That the, be with the hearers this morning. Help them to be attentive. Lord, hide me behind the cross this morning. Help all those who are in attendance this morning and those who may be watching to see Jesus afresh and new. We'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Promise of God to Mary. She would have a son called his name Jesus. The promise of God given to Mary. I think again about the promise given to Abraham and how Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Romans tells us that Abraham was fully persuaded, fully persuaded, so much so that he was willing to take his own son's life knowing that God would raise him from the dead. Abraham, you've got to, in your own mind, just solidify that Abraham truly, absolutely beyond any doubt, believed that God would keep his promise to him. God keeps his promises. Mary had great faith. Now she did say, how, how shall this be? But, but she believed. She believed. We see first off the time of the promise. The timing of the promise. God's timing. So we see here that God, has, God God's never late. He's never early. He's always on time. Amen? God's always on time. And no matter what may be in your life and no matter what you think your timeline may be, God has his own timetable. And we're better off on his timetable, by the way. Always better off on his timetable. Uh, <laughs> again, his timetable is not always understood. But his timetable is always right. God always has your best interest in mind. Galatians 4, 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth a son made of a woman, made under the law, when the fullness of time has come, when it was ready, in God's timing, God sent forth His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. By the way, the timing of His promise, also we see the small town, the city of Nazareth, a fulfilling of prophecy. Matthew two twenty three fulfilled the prophecy that, and He came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, He shall be called a Nazarene. So again, God moved in such a way that all prophecies could be fulfilled concerning the Messiah. And one of the prophecies concerning the Messiah was that he would be a Nazarene. By the way, not a Nazarite. He was not a Nazarite. A Nazarite is a totally different Nazarene. It just means he was from Nazareth. And so a lot of times, Jesus is depicted with long hair because of the false premise that he was a Nazarite. He was not a Nazarite. He was a Nazarene. I'm thankful that God is no respecter of persons, that he even cares about small towns like Nazareth and Bethlehem. And God has his plan and God has his purpose. And here was a young woman available in a little town, a virgin, available, prepared vessel that God could use. A prepared young lady, a lady who was pure and chaste. Again, a vessel of honor. God was about to use her in a great and mighty way. By the way, she was espoused, espoused, or in other words, she was engaged to Joseph. Now this engagement, as I think Brother uh, Moore pointed out there during the children's program last Sunday night, was not like our engagement. We we go to a restaurant, we kneel on a, one knee, we ask our future bride to marry us, right? And then you're engaged, and there's a, then there's some time between that and the marriage. Well, this was more so than that, when they got engaged, or when they proposed in marriage it was a it was a year from the time you proposed to the time you got married during that year you were married you just didn't live in the same house in other words all the same connotations if you were caught in adultery you were caught uh with another man for instance with mary saying that you know if they wanted to uh try her publicly they could have and they could have stoned her for it that's why he said he he minded to put away privately so there was more to it than just our kind of engagement it was a legal binding document that before they came together that, but, that they were still uh, connected in that way. So it was a very serious matter if Mary was to become pregnant in, the, uh, in, in that day and age. But she was committed to her virginity. We know that. It goes, states this over and over again in verse 27 that to a virgin a spouse. In verse 34, it just reemphasizes the importance of her purity. She was committed to, she said, calls her highly favored. She was a prepared life, a, use, a usable vessel, a worthy vessel. By the way, not a sinless vessel. Mary was just as much a sinner as we are. Selfish by nature. So we have the timing of the message. It was God's timing. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, brought there to a young lady, a virgin, a spouse to Joseph, one who was highly favored. And then we have the message of the promise. It was, number one, a message of purity. Verse 31 says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in, in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. In verse 34 it says, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She was a virgin. Isaiah seven fourteen the prophecy says, A virgin shall conceive. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, we just read, says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman. It doesn't say made of a man. Amen. Made of a woman. A miraculous birth, as we said last Sunday morning. A supernatural birth. God intervened, God did it. A virgin became pregnant, in her womb was the perfect Savior. The spotless lamb. we have, having a lamb born out here today? That's cool. The spotless lamb. Again, I want to re- emphasize with you the fundamentals of the faith. It is fundamental to the Christian faith that Jesus be born of a virgin. If he was not born of a virgin, then we don't have a savior. Because had he been born of a man, he would have received a sinful nature and he would have been a sinner just like we are. But he wasn't. He was born of a woman. He was born sinless. He was born sinless in disposition, his nature. He was born sinless indeed. Never one time did Jesus Christ have a sinful thought. Never one time did Jesus Christ commit a sinful deed. He was sinless in every area. Why? In order that we, he might save us from our sins. In order that he might pay the price for our sins. In order that we might receive his sinless record in place of our sinful record. The pure. Virgin birth of Jesus Christ. It was a message of purity. It was a message of salvation. Verse 31 again says, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Jesus. Call his name Jesus. The word Je- name Jesus means Savior. It means Savior. It's a sh- again the equivalent to the Old Testament Joshua. I, w- I do want to point out, and this has been found over and over again in archaeology, that in that day there were, there were other people name, whose name was Jesus. Just like today we have people whose name is Jesus. So every once in a while they'll find a stone or they'll find some writing and it'll have the name Jesus written on it. does not necessarily mean it was Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus our Savior. It could have been other Jesuses who were around who had that same name. So don't think it was just a a name that he only had. It wasn't like naming him some outrageous name like some people do today. I would name a few, but I would embarrass some people. Why would you name your kid that? Do you hate them? You're just just looking to have them get beat up in junior high? Get back to some normal names like Matthew, you know, John. Just some normal names. So he had a name that was common, but he wasn't common. He was unlike any other, the Savior born into this world, a Savior who would save his people from their sins. He did not come primarily as an example, and though he was a great example, right? Follow me as I follow Christ, Paul says, and the Bible says there in, in, in Corinthians, Paul says, <laughs> follow in his steps, and certainly he lived for us a great example, a sinless example. But that's not primarily why he came. He didn't primarily come to be an example for us. He didn't primarily come to be our teacher. And certainly he was a great teacher. In fact, he would be the greatest teacher of all time. And and if you just took the teachings of Jesus and lived by them, your life would be so much better. If America just took the teaching of Jesus like it once was and lived by those teachings, America would be so much better. But Jesus Christ didn't come primarily as a great teacher. No, he came primarily as our Savior. He came as the Savior of the world. He came to save us from our sins. He came to give us, a, forgive us of our sins and give us a home in heaven. He came to be our substitute. He died in our place. He died for me. He died for you. He came primarily as the Savior to save His people from their sins. Religion of that day had twisted the purpose of His coming. The Jews didn't want a Savior of the soul they wanted a savior of the body they wanted to be they wanted to be released and freed from roman oppression they they wanted to be let go from under the tyranny of of uh, caesar and and to again be a nation that's what they wanted and that's what they they the things they read in the old testament that's that's all they read about they didn't they didn't see isaiah 53 and many of the other prophecies that talked about that the messiah would come and suffer they didn't want to they didn't want to Think about those or to study those. No, they, they wanted to read about the second coming of Jesus at the end of the tribulation when he comes and defeats all his foes and when he does reign as king of kings. But he came as a savior primarily. Verse 32 and 33 that I, I just actually alluded to this, it says, and he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the, king, over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. It's also a message of victory. Yes, it's of salvation, but it's also a message of victory. He was rejected as a savior, but one day will reign as king of kings. Revelation 19, 16 says he will be king of kings and Lord of lords. The innocent baby born in the manger one day will be king of all. He will be judge of all and conqueror. He will will bring peace. He will bring final peace. And of that peace, there'll be no end. He's gone. One day he'll go from being savior to sovereign. Oh, they say peace, peace today, but there'll be no peace today. Only true and lasting peace will come when Jesus Christ reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. The Palestinians and the Jews are going to continue to fuss and fight. The Middle East and All those are going to continue to fuss and fight. There's still going to be wars and rumors of wars until Jesus Christ one day comes at the end of the uh, tribulation and there lands on top top of Mount Olives and splits it in two and with the word of his mouth defeats all the enemies of the world and sets up the millennial kingdom and rules and reigns forever and ever and ever and ever. One day, (laughs) I hope it's soon, a just king, a righteous king, the king of kings. Then we think about the basis of the foundation of the miracle that took place. Verse 37, it says, For God, nothing shall be impossible. Nothing shall be impossible. Nothing shall be impossible. Abraham, Sarah laughed. Sarah, Sarah laughed. and By the way, she last laughed in the tent. She just laughed to herself. She said, because in her mind, it said, this is not possible. I'm, I'm past the age of being able to have children God said, with God, nothing is impossible. Can I remind you that God is all-powerful? And so, a preacher, it's really hard for me to believe that, that a virgin could conceive and bear a son. I just It's hard for me to believe that. Well, God created the heavens and the earth. To me, it's very easy. See, if you believe Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 11, it's very easy to understand and to believe Luke chapter 1. To me, it's just as simple as that. I'm not being sarcastic, I'm just saying, listen, the word is true from cover to cover. God kept his promise to Abraham, he kept his promise to Mary, and he'll keep his promise to you. God is all powerful. Mm. With God, nothing is impossible. God promises are backed by his power. You ever uh, buy something with a warranty? You know, you go to Best Buy and they just try to, no, the, the worst one's always the car salesman. You go into that little room with him, you know, the finance guy and you sit before him. And the car already has a warranty with it, but he wants to sell you more, you know, because he's going to make money off of that. By the way, if there's somebody in here who does that, it's fine. I just don't buy extended warranties, never have. I just, it's a Chevy, I don't need an extended warranty. But you, go, you, you get this warranty, and uh, especially cars now, they, you know, they call it the bumper-to-bumper warranty. Uh, but have you ever taken it in with something, and the, the uh, service department says, well, that's not covered. Um, excuse me, my car has 20,000 miles on it. It's a bumper-to-bumper warranty. And then the service guy goes on to say, well, that is a product. The part you're talking about is one that wears, is, wears by use. And therefore, it's not covered. You know the tires and brakes and and you know normal use just... bumper to bumper. Is what the salesman told me. Well, you should have read the. I don't read that stuff. It's this thick. Who read... like you get a mortgage and the you know, papers that? Who really reads through all that? Only the engineers do. Brother Laster, he read through every one of them. Where's Brother Laster? Right. I'm not, I'm not making fun of Bill. That, that's the way guys who think that, I mean, they read through all of them. I didn't read through the entire thing. I just, it said bumper to bumper, and that's what I believed, and guess what? It wasn't covered. They promised me something, or at least the salesman promised me something that didn't happen. That they weren't going to keep the promise that was given. No, but because man doesn't keep his promises. God always keeps his promises. I, I absolutely remember back when I was a little kid, and everything my pawpaw ever did, it was just a handshake. Kept his promises. But can you tell you, no man, no woman can keep their promises fully, but God can. And not only God can, but God will. God kept his promise to Abraham, and God kept his promise to Mary. Why? Because with God, nothing is impossible. God can create the sun, moon, and stars. Certainly God can form a baby in a mother's womb who's a virgin. And God did. God kept his promise to a young handmaid. We can trust Him. Mm. Nothing is impossible. Nothing's impossible for your family. Nothing's impossible to God when it comes to your family situation. Nothing's impossible to God when it comes to your health situation. Nothing's impossible to God when it comes to your financial situation. Nothing is impossible with God with your, in your job situation, whatever situation you may be in. Nothing is impossible with God. Oh, well, you don't know, preacher. The, the mountain just seems way too high. Listen, there's no mountain that God can't climb, and there's no mountain He won't climb for you. He cares for you. Mary, I think, needed to hear it. She needed to hear that nothing's impossible with God. Knowing that that was an Old Testament, that was said thing was to said to Abraham and Sarah, nothing's impossible with God. Nothing. This handmaid, by the way, the word handmaid means slave girl. It, it alludes to that, infers that Mary was totally sold out to whatever God had asked her to do. That Sarah, uh, I'm sorry, that Mary was totally committed to whatever God had asked her to do, handmaid. Can I remind you that Romans tells us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, by the way, it's just a reasonable service. May we be reminded this morning that the Lord wants our lives. By the way, the best Christmas present you can give the Lord is yourself. In other words, Mary said, Behold, Lord, here's my life. Take and use it. Use it for your glory. Whatever you'd ask me to do, be it according to thy word. Jesus said, but not my will, but thy will be done. We ought to have surrendered lives to the Lord. We ought to totally surrender to him, yield to him. When you come to a service like this, you ought to be praying in such a way that, Lord, speak to me, and Lord, help me to yield to whatever you ask me to do. Lord, I will yield to whatever you ask me to do. Mary was totally committed, totally surrendered to whatever God had asked her to do. By the way, in spite of the cost, and there would be a heavy cost for it, she would be ridiculed and slandered Here was a a woman who was espoused to a man who became pregnant. The son would be made fun of as well. One born out of wedlock, they would say. We know that's not true. In other words, she knew the cost. In fact, the Bible says there she pondered it in her heart. And yet, though she would be misunderstood... And though there would be a pain of rejection, she accepted the personal cost and surrendered to the Lord. This morning, we ought to be surrendered to the Lord. We ought to surrender to Him and yield to Him on whatever He asks us to do. give you an example. In the Bible, the Bible sets up for us the family structure. In other words, we know that the Bible sets up the man as the head of the home and and then we have the wife who is to be the caretaker of the home. And then we have the children, right? So we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, dad, mom, and children. Hello? That's the godly authority in the home. That's what the Bible lays out for us. By the way, I just want to make it very clear that doesn't mean that the husband's any better than the wife or the wife's any better than the husband. It's God has just simply given us different roles in the family. We are equal but different. Amen. Biblically, that is what the Bible lays out for us. Society today has ridiculed that biblical authority. They make fun of it. In fact, so much so that in many times courts will side with children over their parents. It's crazy. The biblical authority in the Bible, uh, we as Christians ought to surrender to that biblical structure. If Bible lays it out for us, then we ought to surrender to that. In other words, the wife is, should be committed to the family; the man should be, again, committed to be the protector and provider and priest of his home. And that is laughed at by our society. In other words, if you are going to, as a woman, as a lady, live by the biblical structure, there'll be times in which you'll be made fun of because you're living by the biblical structure. Hello, it's not it's not politically correct anymore. But I tell you this, if you will yield to the Lord and if you will yield to his promise in the Bible, that if you'll follow the biblical structure that God will bless you, not just in a great way, he'll bless your family in a miraculous way. He's promised to. So I don't understand why maybe this is going on in my family or that's going on in my family. And I don't know why it may be as well, but you may want to go back and check the structure of your home and make sure you're following the biblical structure. Because God has promised to bless the biblical structure. And He always keeps His promises. And it may cost you something. It may cost you some slander and ridicule to live by the biblical structure. But listen, it's worth it. You count the cost, it's worth it. It's worth it. Based upon God's promises. God does miraculous things through surrendered lives. You surrender to Him and to His will and to His word. And God will do miraculous things through you. By the way, as a church, if we'll surrender to His will and to His way and to His word, God will do miraculous things through our church and has done so. As we surrender to His will, not our will, but His will. God had His timing. God sent forth a son, made of a woman, made under the law. God's never late, God's never early, God's always on time. Maybe you think in your life right now, there's something going on, and you think, well, why hasn't God answered? Again, God's never late. He's always on time. In God's timing, in that small town of Nazareth, a small town of Bethlehem, God sent forth His Son. The Messiah was promised to, to, to Mary, and Mary believed the promise. A Savior would be born. Salvation would come to mankind. I hope this morning you know you're saved. Amen. A Savior which is Christ the Lord. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And if you're here this morning and you don't have Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you need to accept Him today. Simply believe on Him and His life, His death and His resurrection, repenting of your sins and come to Him and He'll save you. Save you from what? Save you from the penalty of sin, of hell. Save you from your lost condition. Give you contentment and peace that passes all understanding. Give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. And and it's an amazing, amazing life to be To live with Jesus. By the way, it is a message of victory. One day he's coming again. No longer as Savior, but as sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. All of this based upon his promises. That an all-powerful God always keeps his promises. If we'll be fully surrendered to him, he will bless us, our lives, our church, in a miraculous way. Do you believe the promise this morning? Mary believed Abraham believed. Do you believe this morning? Let's all stand. Him 167, just as I am. Mary, the promises to her. After we pray. Heavenly Father, again, we come to you based solely upon your word, the promises you have given, knowing that you keep your promises. I pray this morning for someone here who's never accepted you as Savior, I pray they might do so today. That you, through your spirit, would convict them and give them courage to step out of their chair and come forward and accept you today before it's eternally too late. Lord, we thank you that you are an all-powerful God who cares about us and knows us in our every situation. Lord, I just praise you and thank you for that. And I pray that we be yielded to you as Christians. Surrender to you as Mary was surrendered. And we'll thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlet.org.